Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's also easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yes, and as usual, if you have any questions that you would like us to spend a few moments talking about, uh, we love to do that. Look forward to that every week. Uh, we'd love for you to send those questions to info at grove.church, uh, or you can direct message our church Grove Church Facebook page. Uh, just make sure when you look for Grove Church, it's in Washington State, Marysville, and Snohomish. We've got two campuses. Uh, and then give us a thumbs up. So that way you can follow all the cool stuff that we've got going on. There you go. For just kicks and giggles, I guess. If we sound a little bit frazzled, it's because... Uh, Evan's more frazzled than I am. I, Let's just be true. honest. He, our, almost, he almost yelled at his iPad. Our notes were deleted, like right before we started recording. Hey, your notes were deleted. But my notes, I guess. I yeah. had everything on my iPad ready to go. But shout out so. to uh, Sermonary Customer Service, because they uh, they got it recovered in the nick of time. Hashtag so, winning. There you go. Uh, so this week, we're going to go ahead and do a, uh, a deep dive into the book of John, or I guess more it's accurately... one of my favorite books of the New Testament, by yeah, the way. The Gospel of John. Um, it's a, yeah, it is a great book yeah. and it's, it's kind of famous. So in I think it's my of, favorite gospel. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, um, like when you have someone who's a new Christian, it's one of the first books that you kind of yeah. have someone read. Um, which is funny. Cause I thought about that when, cause I used to, as a youth pastor, I used to tell students all the time to, uh, start in the book of John. It starts off a little bit. If you're brand new to, to the Christian faith, it starts off a little bit weird. Uh, as you think, if I, as I'm thinking about it, it's like, it's a little bit weird. So it takes a little bit of explanation, right? Uh, but the book itself is pretty remarkable and, and it's easy for, for anybody to read. And as you read it throughout life, it'll, yeah. it'll continue to show new things. So there you go. It's a great book. Before we jump into the introduction, let's go ahead and go over uh, some of the resources that we're using today. So we have, um, as always, the ESV Study Bible, um, and then we have The Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, The New Testament in Its World by N.T. Wright. Which is a great book. Yep. And Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, uh, which that'll come in, in during the question and answer portion. But. Yeah. But we wanted to give Wayne his credit. Classic Wayne. All right. So moving forward. uh, So to kind of introduce the book, uh, just like Matthew and Mark, uh, John is technically anonymous. I suppose you could say Luke is anonymous, but it's pretty obvious, like... Even if he doesn't say his name, which I don't think he does, but see, now I'm just going to sound like an idiot if he does say his name. But um, it's pretty obvious that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but we're talking about John. Uh, but there's a, and by anonymous, you mean they don't self identify as the authors. Right. We, but through scholarly report or research, we. Like the letters of Paul. I'm going to say it's like 99.9%. This is my personal opinion. 99.9% sure this is who wrote the books. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, and I, I would They just don't self identify as I'm the author. Exactly. So Paul will say, I, Paul, right. Like, Mm-hmm. John doesn't do that. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of internal evidence tradition to support uh, that it is John, the son of Zebedee. The reason for that is um, the author of the book refers to himself as the beloved disciple. So if you're just kind of working... It's a little egotistical. Yeah, if, or the disciple who, who Jesus loved. Um, but if you're kind of working backwards from that, then if that's the way the author refers to himself, then anytime that the beloved disciple is talking with someone or is listed along with other disciples, we know it's not them, right? So the only ones that aren't listed with the, with the beloved disciple are Matthew, Simon the Zealot, James the son of Alphaeus, and John the son of Zebedee. Uh, of those, Matthew doesn't make sense because he wrote his own gospel already. And then- uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. And then John the son of Zebedee makes the most sense because he's the one who's actually with Jesus in the beginning when a lot of these things mm-hmm. were going on, as opposed to uh, Matthew, Simon, and James. And he was part of that- Inner, inner circle, if you will. Right. Uh, I just watched the inner circle episode of The Office, but um, 
it was a part of that inner circle that three that Jesus would pull aside or take further into uh, the mountain transfiguration, things like that. Right. So, so there is a little bit of, um, I guess you could say controversy about who wrote the book, but I don't, I think it's pretty overblown. Uh, I think if it's controversy, it's because people are just trying to argue for the sake of arguing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's most, that's my professional, my professional opinion, not just my personal yeah. opinion. 99% is John, the son of Zebedee. Uh, the date, uh, it's dated, it's best dated uh, after 64 AD, because that's the year that Peter is martyred. Um, and so John explicitly talks about that and not like in a prophetic way necessarily, because it's like Jesus says, you're going to do this. And then within the book, it actually says, um, this was to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So that kind of aside is basically mm-hmm. saying like, this has happened and this is why Jesus said that. So we can date it to after 64 um, and before at least 135 AD, which is when we see the first references to the gospel of John. Um, but you could even go as early as 125 AD, which is when we have some of the the, uh, the earliest dates of the earliest manuscripts, if that makes sense. So uh, of the gospel of John. So as far as like ancient study of books, we actually have a pretty tight window of when this yeah. was written. Cause we have about, it's about a 50 year period where uh, this book could 60 meet. I might've done my math wrong there, you but 70s. Is it 70? Yeah. 64 and 135. <sighs> 71 yeah. years, bro. Well, I'm not very smart uh, or with math at least. So anyway, uh, but you as far as here first folks, as far as uh, studying an ancient book, uh, that's a pretty tight window mm-hmm. uh, for when it would have been. Um, most likely I, I lean towards a date of like kind of the early seventies AD. Cause it just seems like 1970s. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. But, uh, that just seems when, uh, this would happen because if you're also holding that John, uh, wrote first, second and third John, which are the epistles and then the book of revelation. Which we do hold that opinion. Yeah. Uh, well, if revelation is written about the late eighties, nineties, uh, AD, then mm. you would say the epistles would have to be written a decent amount of time before that when he was, wasn't was on Patmos. And you would say that the gospels were probably written before the epistles were written. Yeah. So anyway, that's why long, long story short, I think seventies probably is about when this yeah. was written. And, and I don't know why I'm, I'm forgetting this. I didn't write it down, but the gospel of John is the last gospel to have been written, right? So yes. he wrote it after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So. Right. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah. <laughs> and John. No. Okay. Uh, and then finally, purpose. Uh, John is an interesting uh, is an interesting gospel because so the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke we refer to as the synoptic gospels, um, and the reason we refer to them as that is are the I guess the reason we group them all together is because they deal with a lot of the same stories. Um, and what we kind of see synonymous. If, yeah. If you if you uh, if you bring them if you bring them together. Um, it looks like Mark was written first, mm-hmm. and then it looks like Matthew pulled a lot from Mark, and then also told um, some of his own uh, some of his own recollections in there. And then Luke, who we know um, interviewed a bunch of people, not just, but he probably used the Gospels of Matthew and Mark as sources when he was writing his Gospel, and then also did interviews, which is why yeah, it's almost like he took the the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, or Mark and Matthew, if you're going to go that way. Uh, and kind of expounded on them or took them as a framework and then right. brought in more detail and witnesses. And things well, like and that. that's the interesting thing with Luke, because you'll see just kind of aside from random characters that seem like, <laughs> yeah. oh, like this is written. I, I believe um, I believe that the story of um, Simon, the man who helps carry Jesus' cross is the in, serene. Simon, Simon the serene. serene. I believe that's in, in Luke. Um, I could be wrong. Oh, on I that. don't remember. Oh shoot! I shouldn't just say it's things. in one of those things. It's <laughs> in the Gospels. Anyway, I'll look that I up because I played Simon in a drama when I was a teenager. Ooh. When dramas were big deals. There you go. 
But hashtag bring him back. No, just kidding. So with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and dive. We're talking about John today. Yeah, we're going to dive into the actual. We're going to into the text of the book of John. Uh, It breaks up really neatly into four sections. So there's the prologue, um, which is the first eighteen verses of John, uh, which kind of just thematically don't really fit in with the rest of the book. And then Mm -hmm. if we move on past that, there's going to be Jesus's uh, miracle ministry, which is what we'll call that section. Uh, Other other places called the book of signs. I think in the, yep. the NT right book, that's yep. what it's referred to as after that it's Jesus's death and resurrection, which can also be referred to as the book of glory, uh, which is John 13 through 20. And then finally the epilogue in John 21, which, which is the last chapter. If you listen to the podcast last year, we spent a lot of time talking about, so I probably won't, we probably won't spend a ton of time, but it is like, easily, we'll, we'll hit some high points. And then easily the epilogue is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. So you can't just completely skip it. But yeah. well, and I think, I think even honestly, like that's the beauty of the podcast and how we're kind of working through things this year um, is it should be a really great compliment to the last year uh, and how we work through the Bible really systematically right. with the reading plan this year. We're kind of like we've already said in the very beginning. So I uh, would encourage you to go back, listen to that a little bit if you have more questions or want some thoughts there. So, All right. so here's, uh, it's just kind of interesting the way that John starts off, like Aaron was saying, it's a little bit complicated in the beginning because the rest of John is narrative. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's an interesting way to launch a book about Christ, it, um, it, yeah. but there's intention to it and we'll get to that in a minute, but it reads a lot like Genesis. Uh, if mm-hmm. you remember in the beginning of the There's old strong correlation there, it starts off in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with John chapter one. Uh, you get in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him uh, was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was with the, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is referring to John the Baptist. Uh, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came wit- but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives to light everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and to his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is, the, uh, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For his fullness, we, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. All right, so that's the prologue. Um, we just figured we'd read the whole thing because it's not super duper long. But Super duper long. Not super duper long. But uh, there's a couple interesting things just to kind of point out there. I think the really the... It, it really is John's retelling of Genesis in the sense of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we have this, we have this interesting idea that there is um, some type of pre-existing what is referred to as the word. Um, I believe the Greek word there is the logos and uh, it pre That's correct. It pre-existed with God and, and was God. And then John begins to fill out who this word is. Now it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting because um. The idea of the logos is something that existed in in Greek philosophy a long time before, and it really was this idea that there was some kind of um, 
some kind of logic that held the world together mm-hmm. is kind of the idea. Um, and so that's what John is playing off of here. He's writing to probably a, a, a Greek audi- audience or at the very least because, of, and, we, and we talked a little bit about this, but because the uh, the Greeks had came, came through and conquered Israel and ruled it for a, a fair amount of time, um, culture was very Greek. Uh, there was a mix. And obviously the Pharisees are kind of saying like, well, no, we're, we're, we are Jewish and they're kind of sticking with that whole thing. But um, a lot of groups of the Jews were becoming very Hellenized or um, becoming very Greek in culture. So they would have been aware um, of this idea. And so John keeps moving forward. He says that, um, and, and really the climax of the whole prologue is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and then what's interesting is, and I think I read this in the N.T. Wright book, but it was uh, the Greek word, for he dwelt among us is is skenu. I'm just going to say that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. That for is sure. yes, absolutely. Oh, sweet. Now I'm, uh, I'm shrugging but, my shoulders. Uh, it translates directly to he tabernacled amongst us. So it really does give this idea of if the the tabernacle you remember is is during the ministry of Moses. It, it's mm-hmm. God's presence on earth. That is where the presence of God dwells um, before the temple and. It, it was, it was just a tent that the Israelites brought with them from yeah. place to place. And when they set it up, God's presence dwelt there. And so he's saying that the word became flesh um, and the spirit of God was embodied inside of this person. So in other words, it's, it's kind of just comparing Jesus to a uh, the fulfillment of the tabernacle, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. So. Well, and we talk about, I mean, here at the Grove Church, we talk about the whole idea of like the church is not a building, but it's people. Um, and we talk about the idea of we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, this is where it all initiates. This is where it all starts is Jesus comes in, in human form, in the form of a baby, and the Holy Spirit in, dwells within him. Uh, so this picture of he tabern- tabernacle among us is just another reinforcement to this idea that you and I, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so it's, I mean, this is where it finds its origin. I mean, people we oftentimes refer to the, the passage in 1 Corinthians where it talks about this, but even more specifically, we see it in, in the very beginning of the book of John. And even this prologue, it it's, it's kind of setting a tone because uh, this, in essence, takes over the nativity story that we hear and read right. uh, throughout the synoptic gospels. Um, this is this is John's nativity story. This is Jesus coming to earth and becoming man. Quick note: Simon the Cyrene was in Mark, so I looked it up while you were talking. Good so, job. Yeah. So uh, ignore what I said previously. I was yeah. lying to you. It was in the gospels. I said that, so <laughs> I was right. Evan was wrong. Yeah. Uh, but anytime pro- I can be right and him wrong, it's a great day. It's, it works out. Uh, but the prologue really does set the table for for who Jesus is and and why um, really the rest of the book mm-hmm. was written and and the big tonal shift um, from the synoptic gospels to John is John very much focuses on um kind of like what Jesus says and what Jesus thinks. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit interesting. A lot of the stories are different. So John is clearly not, um, he's probably aware of the synoptics, but he's clearly not like taking those accounts and then adding his own yeah. thoughts to them when he's he's writing something completely new here. And then when you divide John up, if you, you could kind of divide it in two a little bit with but when you talk about the, the, the miracle ministry of Jesus and then the last half of the book takes place in like, oh, I think less than a week. It goes from... Yeah. The Last it takes Supper. A ton of time. Yep. And so you get through in the Synoptic Gospels, the Last Supper is a really short mm-hmm. passage. Um, Not in John. Nope. John is like, I think it's four or five chapters. Yeah. I have it written down for the well, notes. I think even I was trying to find it real quick. Uh, N.T. Wright talks about the whole idea of the differences between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and then talks about John a little bit. And it's almost John's, it, sound, it feels like in senses, like this idea that John's perspective is to take us up on this mountain to show us this grand picture. Um, 
And then it's also gazing into the face of Jesus. It's understanding Jesus in, in a deeply personal, in a deeply compassionate, in a deeply powerful way. Uh, and that's the, that's the intention is, is what we can really get from John as he's writing, which is why I think he spends about half of the book, uh, or I guess a little less than half of the book on yeah. Jesus' death and resurrection, the Passover, the last meal, like this, things like that, is because it's beholding, like behold Jesus. Don't just hear about him, but behold him. So now I think there's also this interesting... Because John is written so much later than the other gospels, I think he's also addre- addressing different issues. Because um, the first gospels that you read, they really are just accounts of Jesus's life. And it's kind of assumed that, yeah. um, well, if Jesus did die and resurrect and all these things happened, then obviously um, he's divine. Whereas John actually spends a lot more time explicitly characterizing Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, which I, I think is probably just an outgrowth of the further away you get from the events, the more you're going to rise into uh get into heresies where um, I can't remember which one's next because there's the Arians and the Gnostics and everything, but one believes that Jesus is man and not God. And the other one believes that God, that Jesus was God, uh, but not man. And so it's kind of, John is a great combatant to both of those yeah. because you clearly see that Jesus is divine, but you also clearly see that uh, he's human. Yeah, exactly. So with that being said, we'll uh, get past the prologue. That was a long time to spend on the first 18 verses, but uh, we'll power through. Like This book is a phenomenally deep and incredible book. So oh yeah, for it's, sure. it's worth spending time on. Uh, the next section is Jesus's miracle ministry. This is John one nineteen through chapter 12. Um, so basically from right after the prologue all the way through chapter 12. Uh, you can kind of break this section into two cycles. And uh, conveniently, they're actually called the cycles. So there's the Cana cycle, which is called that because um, it begins in the region of Cana. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus kind of goes around, travels, does some miracles, and he ends up back in Cana. And the second cycle is a festival because it begins uh, with an unnamed festival and then kind of cycles around. Jesus goes back into Jerusalem and then it ends again with uh, a festival being celebrated. So that's why those are called the, the Cana cycle and the festival cycle. Uh, the Cana cycle takes place in chapters two through five. Um, and this is where we get a lot of really famous stuff from John. Uh, mm-hmm. It focuses on Jesus turning water into wine. His uh, first miracle. Yep, his first miracle. He and rebukes then, his mom, but still does what she says. That's true. Classic. What a good son. It's not my time yet. Well, I think he says woman. Woman, it's not yet my time. And then he does it. He performs yeah. a miracle. So. And woman back then, I, I will say also, was not like a... Disrespectful derogatory yeah, statement. It was but a different thing. But it sounds funny and it's it's good for dramatic effect for preachers. That is true. Woman. Uh but yeah, Jesus turns water in the wine. He then visits Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple for the first time, which is interesting. Um so I kind of land this is also one of those open-handed things because some people think that Jesus cleanses the temple one time and John um chronologically puts that in the beginning, and the other gospels put that thematically at the end. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, it actually happens early in Jesus' ministry, um, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke put it towards the end of the Gospels just because it, it's the climactic moment that kind of leads yeah. into. And when, and when you read through um, uh, the trials of Jesus, and I mean like the actual legal trials of Jesus, that's what they're charging him with is the fact that he was threatening to destroy the temple and all of that. But anyway, uh, I kind of landed in the camp that he just did it twice. So that's what kind of makes the most sense to me that towards the beginning of his ministry, he does it and then he comes back and does it again. So anyway, uh, and I don't land in any camp. There you go. To me, it's not, I don't care. You're hovering over both camps to me. I'm like, okay, great. You, fen- good thoughts. you fence sitter. But, uh, 
Uh, Jesus comes to the temple for the first time and he has a conversation with Nicodemus that produces arguably the most famous verse of the Bible, which of course is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever be, believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah. So, and John three seventeen is probably the most forgotten verse. It's true. For God. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, lives great, the, it lives in the shadow of God's love, but a great verse, John yes. three seventeen, nonetheless. Uh, and then the account ends with Jesus meeting the woman at the well and healing a man's son. So mm. woman at the well, you remember is the woman from Samaria. Samaritan. Yeah. Yep. Where he's like, where's your husband? And she's like, I have no husband. And he's like, you're right. You've had five. Boom. And the one you're with right now isn't even your husband. Which gives me like Boom, one of my, roasted. one of my favorite lines is that he does that. And her, her only response is, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> yeah. like just, oh, so you know. So I'm guessing you're a prophet. And was, then she gets theological with them, which is really funny. Yeah. So well, let me tell you something. I disagree with you. Great. Uh, great stories there. And then from uh, chapters six through 12, uh, we have the festival cycle. And this is really just kind of, it's quick hits of miracles. And so yeah. we don't. John does a real, that goes at length to really re, like reveal God's power in the, in, in the supernatural, in the miracle world. Right. He, he just, all these different miracles and, it's just, it's almost like this. It's its hard to keep up with what's actually happening and things like that. So, well, yeah. And all the gospels are really, are really concerned with showing that, um, that Jesus is demonstrating his authority through miraculous mm. deeds as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but in this section, uh, we get Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is one of his more famous miracles, walking on water, uh, which is also one of his most famous Does ones. Does John have the account of 4,000 too? Uh, I didn't, the 4, I I didn't can't see it. I don't think there are two separate occurrences right. when Jesus feeds not just 5,000 men, but also 4,000 men at two different times. Ironically, or I think the 4,000 account comes after the 5,000. So it does. He, he does. At the, least, at least in the God, like, I think it's in Matthew or Mark that I recall. He does the big league feeding. And then after that, he's yeah. like, well, we can, let's, four. let's go if to the minor do, leagues. If we can do five, we can do four. Uh, and then we get the woman uh, caught in adultery, um, or I guess- Which may or may not actually- Yep. It's, it's funny to read in my Bible how to, the, this, this is not in the earlier manuscripts or whatever, the story, so this account. You'll notice in the notes, Aaron, that it says maybe- Controversy. It says maybe hit on the controversy, so- Or maybe hit, but, I thought you, I, I'm trying to read, I read quick. That's fine, but hey, you, so, you took maybe, the maybe- I maybe there's a bit the of controversy. maybe right out of there, so- uh, Well, there is. I mean, it's, yeah. if, it's, if it's written in the, like, <laughs> literally it's written in my Bible, then it's, it's funny because I've heard people say, well, you shouldn't preach from that passage. And I'm like, I disagree. I actually want to preach from that passage because I think God's heart is still shown through the- the compassion and, and love and truth that he has for this woman caught in a doctor of adultery. But All right. So let's take, that's let's take my a camp. quick, let's take a quick two minute sidebar on this though. Cause it's interesting. So when you're reading through John, you'll notice that uh, in John chapter eight, the very beginning, there's End a story. chapter seven, I think seven fifty three to eight something. Is that what it is? I think so. So there's, there's a story of a woman caught in adultery and in most of your Bibles, it'll note that these, this story is not found in the earliest manuscripts. So we have early manuscripts that mm -hmm. either this is completely omitted. We have other manuscripts where it's put in a different part of John. And there's also, I guess there's manuscripts of Luke where the story is in there, which is kind of interesting. Um, like they just took it out of John and put it into, into Luke. So why not? Yeah. A, a couple things, <laughs> um, a couple things that are important to, to state here then um, as Christians who hold that the Bible is the inspired word of God, um, what we believe is that the original manuscripts are inspired by God, if that makes sense. So there, that does leave open the opportunity for human error in copying them down. Cause we don't believe that um, for instance, there's a lot of Bible translations that I would have an issue with, with how they interpret certain things. There's also <coughs> um, kind of like the different cults have their own Bible translations. 
and those raise a bunch of different issues as well. So there is an there is a possibility of uh, different scribes, different translators, different people kind of doing different things um, mm-hmm. to to yeah to put their own uh, spin on scripture. So it, you you have to be careful that when, when you're saying it, you're you're being clear that it's it's the original manuscripts that we believe are inspired by God. Um, so with that being said, there's kind of two which camps. in and of itself is kind of a controversial statement. Uh, yeah, it can be. is this only because it, it, most Christians have grown up in the house that have not had the deep scholarly conversation from Bible school or whatever, talking about this specific topic in and of itself. Um, What we're not discrediting is the Bible that you're holding in your hand right now, maybe as you're reading, listening or reading along with us. Uh, It's just something to be aware of, which is why that portion in scripture will oftentimes refer to the earliest manuscripts. Right. Just trying to bring distinction there versus, hey, this may not be true. So, yeah. So there's, there's kind of two different camps that you can land on with this. Either A, um, it wasn't written by John and it was inserted later or B it was written by John and some early scribes decided to take it out. And then later on we found manuscripts. Yeah. That put it back in or put in different spots. So those are kind of the two camps. This Um, goes back to the open handed, closed handed conversation. This is an open handed issue. This might be, this Um, might be one of the first times we've actually disagreed on the podcast though. Cause I would land in the camp that like, I probably wouldn't preach it just because Oh, I have preached it and I would continue to preach it. Yeah. So see, there you go. We can disagree. But um, I'm still right. There you go. <laughs> yeah, in my, in my in my opinion, I guess I think um, the themes that are addressed in that story are present in a lot of other stories mm-hmm. as well. So it's not as if um, this is the one story where we can get the idea that Jesus uh, disapproves of hypocrisy and also shows grace to sinners. So that's kind of where I'm at. But yeah. again, really open handed issue. Um, we will, we're both well, Christians. and I and and the reason why I would say that I because I don't think I've clarified this. Um, I know you and I have talked about it way before we ever started recording a podcast. Right. Um, but the reason why I would land on the case where I have in fact preached from this passage and I would probably continue to preach from this passage um, is because I think there's a depth of of truth and grace that's in alignment with Christ's character um, that we've seen throughout the Gospels. And I, for this this passage does not deter me or cause me to think anything less of like, maybe Jesus didn't act this way right. um, because I believe and I would see, I, I've seen throughout scripture, throughout the Gospels, this is how Jesus interacts. This is how Jesus, I mean, went with Zacchaeus, great story, but he was, you know, tax collectors had their own category as sinner. Um, that's why you would see at different times it says sinners and tax collectors, a separate category that was below quote unquote sinners from a, from a ancient times perspective. So for me, the way that Jesus interacts with this woman, the way that he um, challenges people in general uh, throughout his life, it, it falls in direct alignment in my opinion. And, and so I, I, I wouldn't, I would love, I would, and I will <laughs> use this story and passage uh, yeah. to communicate the same truth. So. Well, none of this is out of character yeah. for Jesus. It's not which sideways. Why, which is why it really is like kind of an open-handed thing. Like I, it, it just brought to mind, um, I forgot which Gnostic gospel it is, but there's like a, a fake gospel that has a story about um, like Jesus is talking to a group of women and he's talking about that. Like I, I can't, I'm paraphrasing hardcore here, but it's basically like if one day like you believe and are dedicated enough you can turn into men and that's what you should desire it's like it's just super what? weird and i've never heard of that really i forgot which one it's in but the only the only gnostics whatever that is like the gospel of thomas yeah. that's the only one that comes to mind about anything like that so anyway the, the point i'm making is because like for instance that story is so out of character like jesus yeah. says nothing like that anywhere else in the gospel so we yeah. can pretty clearly say like okay someone mm, that's not true someone made that up uh for their own purposes back that's in cute. the day this one however um 
if whether it's true or not true, if it is true, it doesn't change anything about how we yeah. view Jesus because it's, it's it all enhances very much, it, if anything. Yeah, it's all very much within uh, his normal character of how mm-hmm. he acts in the gospel. So there you go. Anyway, quick controversy over. Uh, and then it ends with the death and resurrection of Lazarus, that uh, festival cycle of the festivals. After that, we get to uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. You could also call this kind of the uh, the passion story. Uh, the Book of Glory, I think, is how it's referred to mm-hmm. in a couple of different books that we have. Um, but it's, it's just covering everything from the Last Supper to the resurrection. Yeah. It's chapters 13 through 20. Uh, the Last Supper is uh, chapters 13 through 18. So the vast majority- One meal. <laughs> Yeah, it's five, six chapters long. So the vast majority of of the book is, or of this section of the book is, and it's not just saying like, and then John took the bread, and then Peter ate. <laughs> the, you know what I mean? It's not just describing the meal. It's all of uh, Jesus having a conversation with his disciples, yeah. and we get a lot of really powerful. We get a lot of really powerful things in that passage. Um, I love the example that Jesus sets by washing mm-hmm. um, his disciples' feet. Um, there's like the the clear when Jesus is like Judas, you will betray me, and everyone's like, what? All yeah. that kind of stuff happens. Uh, we get the setup for Peter's denial of Christ, which mm-hmm. is going to come later, um, and then really it's just Jesus talking about who he is, kind of preparing his disciples for what's going to yeah. happen. You almost get this vibe. It's like it, it, obviously like the last meal, yes, but it's it's almost this lingering cherishing, like where where Jesus knows what's about to happen because he does, um, but he's he's almost spending time with his guys. Like these are the guys that I've spent the last three and a half years with. Like, um, so you almost get this sense of, I don't want it to end. It's, uh, it's when I've, when I've moved across the the state or whatever for a job, like I I hang out with my friends and way like into the evening and I let it go longer than I normally would because that's in essence the last time I'll really see them consistently. Um, so you get this really human rawness, uh, of Jesus in the last supper that is, is, is really kind of incredible to, to see. And this isn't, yeah, this isn't the last time that Jesus will see his disciples, but it is kind of the last time that it's not, that it's for a long time, if yeah. that makes sense. So, cause after this, you get the death and resurrection of Christ. And then really what we see is kind of just quick conversations. Um, I'm sure there was a point where they sat down, but this is kind of the last long form discussion where you see Jesus. Well, yeah, disciples. And we see in the, in the other gospels, we see Jesus coming back and appearing in a room that the door right. was locked and he's spending, he's being with it. And it wasn't this like, Hey, check me out. Here I am. Touch my side. Here, Thomas. See, I'm alive. And then he got, he's gone again. Like there were some moments where Jesus spent time with his disciples, but this is like the last real human moment, I guess. You could say that. Um, because of that. Anyways, he's in full glory. Anyways, yeah. Anyway, so after that, we get to uh, Jesus' arrest, which takes place in uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was not a ton of money. So Jesus no. is kind of the worst. And it was his idea. Jesus <laughs> Judas worst. was kind of the worst. Uh, and so that happens. Uh, and then we get this really interesting. I love the way that John lays it out, where Jesus, the different trials of Jesus are intermixed with Peter's denials. So it's not telling the story of Jesus was on trial. Also, by the way, Peter denied Christ. They're kind of interwoven. Yeah. So you're seeing if it, if it was a movie, yeah, there would be shots. Cut scenes. Yeah, you see shots of Jesus on trial, and then you see shots of Peter denying him. It's kind of intermixed. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a cool way. I love the way that John does that. You're um, brilliant, John. You're brilliant. Well, it's almost like you were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. Uh, <laughs> the crucifixion is in chapter 19, uh, which, I mean, 
you know, we know what happens there. Jesus is crucified. Um, you get some really powerful I am statements. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, we also find out that John is there uh, and he's the only disciple who, or I guess I should say the beloved disciple, but it's John, uh, is there. He's the the last disciple who doesn't desert Jesus. After that, we get to the resurrection, um, which is really kind of the, the climax of the book. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really interesting is the way that John is laid out um, if, if, if you remember, remember back to middle school English for a little bit here. And if we talk about the way that stories are often structured, so you have the exposition, rising action, uh, climax, falling action, right? I don't it's know how you remember that stuff. So I just like stories, but so like That's with, true. with the prologue, that makes sense. the prologue really is this exposition. It's setting up the story. The rising action is all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is doing miracles like, oh, oh dang. And he's starting to do more and more. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are starting to get more and more upset with him. Um, and then the climax of the story really is, um, I guess you could say there's two climaxes, right? Cause there's Jesus' death. He, he's put to death and in any normal story, that would be the end. But mm-hmm. because this is, this is Jesus, it's not a normal story. Um, and the second climax really is, um, the resurrection of, of, of Christ yeah. and then the falling action, um, resolution, I guess you could call it would be in John chapter 20 verses 30 through 31, uh, where it kind of just wraps up the book like, like this, it says, hmm. now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Um, boom, mic drop. Yeah. And if the book ended there, it would make a ton of sense. It's not like Jonah last week where it ends on, and also much cattle. <laughs> and this one <laughs> ends on uh, that you may, be, that by believing you may have life yeah. in his name, powerful statement. Um, but then that's not the end of the book. Nope. There is um, an epilogue, I suppose you could call it. So it doesn't fit within the narrative structure of how we would, how we would tell the story. Um, but after the conclusion of a narrative, we get a quick story of when Jesus appeared to some of his disciples and he speaks directly with Peter and John. It's like a final thought. Yep. And so, um, again, we spent, no. we spent a lot of time on this in the past, um, but it, is, it really is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. I think it's one of the most beautiful and, and poetic passages. So just to kind of give it um, a quick update, some of the disciples um, go back to the Sea of Galilee and they begin to, uh, or in this one, it's called the Sea of Tiberias, but those are the same, that's the same place, uh, just has different names. Mm-hmm. And uh, they begin to fish. And so we know that Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, and the sons of Zebedee, which are John and James, uh, go go there together. They're fishing, and then they see Jesus from afar. But um, they don't know it's him yet, right? And he, I just, I just, the reason I love this passage is because if you remember to the other gospels, when Jesus calls Peter, the way he does it is Peter is fishing, and Jesus tells him, "Cast your nets on the other side of the boat." And then Peter's just kind of like, you know, listen, guy, I don't tell mm-hmm. you how to do your job, but he's, you know, he's just kind of being like, yeah, okay, at that look. point, he's tired and exhausted. They yeah. didn't. He was up all night. He didn't catch anything. This is the the beginning. Uh, of Peter's call. And he's like, all right. Jesus like, Hey, <laughs> do more work. Yeah. And Peter's like, all right, whatever, man. And he throws the nets on the other side. Um, and all of a sudden he catches more fish than he's ever boatload caught. Boatload of fish. Yeah. Lit- a literal boatload. I don't see what I did fish. there. Um, and, and really like, that's when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. Yeah. And then Peter. Follow me. He drops his business. He, and he's, Peter's pretty. At that point, he's ready to make some money. Yeah. Like he's got a boatload of fish ready to sell and prepare and get money. And he will leaves it all behind. And the interesting thing with Peter, I think we all, cause I think 
sometimes we characterize Peter as he's just an idiot, which he acts like an idiot a lot. So, and I, I do think that he sticks his foot in the mouth. I just think he's quick to action. He's a fast paced individual. That could be. Um, but he's also, he's clearly a smart and successful guy because mm-hmm. he owns a fishing business of some kind. It's inferred that James and John work for him. So there's like, there's Peter's, Peter's got it going on. He owns it. He owns a boat. He's able to do these different things. Um, and I'm he gives, boat. He, he's, he gives it all up. Uh, to follow Jesus. Yeah. And then in John chapter 21, we see the same exact miracle happen. And I like to think it was the same exact place. Maybe it wasn't, but it, at the very least, it was in the same lake. Well, this is, I mean, to steal your word, this is this is the poetic nature of this chapter. Right. Um, you know, and, and we've even just, you know, talked for a minute about John chapter 20 ending the way it ended. Um, there's this beauty and this restorative poetry uh, where I could totally see John like doesn't want to leave Peter hanging. First off, I think John and Peter, they're close. Um, and I think, uh, you know, John, another thing about John too, he was actually the youngest disciple uh, among all the followers of Christ. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he probably Peter, someone he looked up to because the way Peter did lead well, uh, even though he was brash and ridiculous at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you see almost like beauty and like my friend, you know, my friend has been restored. My friend has been, um, called again, and and you almost sense this dejected Peter. Uh, it, we the last we heard of Peter is he was weeping and bitter, a bitter weeping, bitter weeping because he denied Christ as as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then John ends, and there's no restorative nature to that. And so um, I think that's the beauty of it. And and I would totally love to to believe and see, and hopefully when I get to heaven, that God can play it out for me. But it'd be the same exact spot on the same exact beach yeah. in the same exact way where Jesus sits in there. And, and calls him again, hey, throw your nets on the other side. Do you guys catch anything kind of thing? So, yep. so he restores Simon. So yeah, that happens. Uh, Jesus tells them to put their nets on the other side. Same exact thing happens. They catch a boatload of fish. Mm-hmm. Um, only this time, instead of sailing back, Peter's so excited, he puts his jacket back on and then just jumps he leaves in the it again and swims. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and leaves his friends to haul the fish to the, to the shore. Yeah, his friends have to sail the boat back, um, mm-hmm. but Peter just swims right back to shore. They have breakfast. And then this is where we get the really beautiful moment where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Um, And each time after Peter says, yes, he says, feed my lambs or tend my sheep. Um, And there's just, yeah, it's, it's almost like Jesus is giving Peter a clean slate here where he denied him three times. And then he gives him three opportunities just Mm -hmm. to kind of like, okay, forget about what's in the past. Um, And And then then, prophetically tells. Yeah. He prophetically tells. You're going to die. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Um, and so he tells Peter what's going to happen. Yeah. And, I, and he gives him a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, by saying, follow me, it's a command, but it's still a choice. The ball's in Peter's court. Will you follow me like you once did? So I love that. Yeah. Anyways. There you go. And then uh, Peter sees uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, so again, he sees John and he says, uh, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until <laughs> yeah. I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Um, which I do think there is kind of like, I think the tone of this is kind of funny because remember when this is written, um, not that John is making a joke here, but um, most likely all the other disciples are dead at this point, or at the very least it's getting, it's closing in. Peter for sure, um, is gone at this point. And we know that John, um, there's a few different ways you can interpret this, but the way I interpret it is that John eventually. When this was written, sorry, I was trying to catch up with what you were saying. Oh, sorry. Most yeah. likely all the other disciples are dead at this point. 
at the writing of this gospel. When, yeah, when John is not when, down, not when John is rehashing the story. In the story context, the disciples are not all dead. Yes. And when, um, when John I just want to make sure that writing. connection was clear because it took me, I was like, wait a minute, is that true? So anyways. Right. So. Um, but John eventually later on in his life, he gets the nickname, the elder, because mm-hmm. he lives to be very, very old. And, and he doesn't die. And there were people, like if you read um, um, kind of church writings outside of the Bible, there were people who thought that um, Jesus, John wouldn't die before Jesus mm-hmm. comes back. So it's just kind of, it's kind of this just interesting idea. Um, it's kind of playing off of that a little bit, but yeah. So we get these final words of Jesus to Peter, these final words to John. Um, and the, the actual final verse of the book of John is now there were many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Hmm. Which is also really beautiful. Yeah. So I don't hate that. That's that the uh, yeah for sure. Chapter twenty is not the ending. Boom, but boom, that's the book of John. Yeah. Well, and I would even just say like one of the things that uh, you know as I was coming to mind as you were talking about a couple of things is um, we also find in the book of John the I am sayings of Jesus where he, he self identifies as um, these almost these like parabolic like picturesque. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the, the good, good shepherd. shepherd. Ooh, jinx. jinx. Oh. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like these are where in the in the book of John. Uh, he, again, John goes through incredible lengths to to not just give you uh, a history and an assessment of Jesus, but also it's this face like it's it's uh, I, I get this picture of Hook in my mind, the movie Hook with Robin Williams, sure. um, the late Robin Williams, I guess, but where uh, one of the one of the little lost boys grabs his face and says, "Peter." I see you like it's Peter and it's behold like this idea like John is trying to encourage us to to see this person Jesus um and and it's full so uh yeah it's 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 a beautiful book it's it's hands down I think like I said one of my favorite if not my favorite gospel so this is favorite a total, book in the New Testament this is a completely random side note before we jump into the Q&A portion but you know in Hook when the pirate gets thrown into the boo box in the beginning mm-hmm. do you know that's Glenn Close no. The actress. What? Look at it again. She's like, it's her, she did a cameo in the movie and they put her in like a fake beard and everything. But the pirate who gets thrown into the boo box is Glenn Close. So oh, I might have to watch that movie. Fun someday. fact, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said. And that's the book of John. Uh, but before we move on to uh, the Q&A portion, uh, do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, it just helps to get the podcast a little bit more exposure, grow the audience. That's grow- all we really care about. It's not about our egos and Hey, look, everyone likes us. Like we know we're not perfect and, but we enjoy talking about the Bible and hope you enjoy it too. Yeah. So, and it's fun too, because obviously we're based in Washington, um, but we can look at the back end of stats and see like, you know, where different regions where we're getting people listening. Yeah. And, you know, there's a group of people in California Shout listening. Out. There's a group of people in Texas listening. Um, there's hope, a couple of your Cowboys fans. Those are my people. See, you lost me there. But anyway, yes. uh, no, but it's just fun to see um, not just kind of our local church and our yeah. local context, but really a bunch of people being able to come together, send in questions um, and just read the Bible together. It's, it's been awesome. I, I so. was messaged this week by by someone who says I'm doing a good job on the podcast to me specifically. Nice. Not to uh, me. And then she says that I help her fall asleep. So. <laughs> well, you can't. Thanks, Sandra. You can't win them all. So uh, question... Question one says, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 1 through 12, uh, subtitled Death Comes to All. Chapter 9. Yes, chapter 9. Makes it sound like you can do as you please because once you die, it's all over. So what makes you happy on earth while alive? Seems a little contrary to what we believe and how we are supposed to live. Help! She, an they put an exclamation point there. So that's how that's how I read it in that moment. Um, okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. So I'll just read the passage really fast. And then we can talk about the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a great book of the Bible. Uh, That's Evan's favorite. But all this I laid to heart, examining 
examining it all, how the righteous and wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, and to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the one, as the good one is, so is the sinner, so is he who swears, as he as is he who shuns the oath. This is an this is an evil that is all uh, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. He's referring to death when he says the same event. Uh, also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with the living has hope for a living, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Great line there. Uh, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what to do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life, and that is your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hands find, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And again, I say that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the breed to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like the fish that are taken in an evil net, like the birds that are caught in the snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Okay, so at first glance, that's like the most depressing thing you've ever read. <laughs> so there's a couple Welcome to the Book of John podcast, everybody. Oh man. Ecclesiastes is okay, so Ecclesiastes is if you've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, you'll know that it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's also um, a very depressing book. It is. But the reason it's one of my favorite is be- one of my favorites is because it's a legitimately honest look at what the meaning of life is without God. Um and I, I think a lot of times what you get is this kind of dis with a lot of modern atheists, you get this dishonesty where the idea is that there is no God, um, there is no purpose to life, and that's beautiful. It's kind of the idea of, of, of what's kind of spewing out there a little bit. And, and, and what Ecclesiastes is, is a legitimate idea of saying, um, who cares? Like, if there is no God, if there's no greater purpose to anything, then we should just die. Like we all die. Like whether you're rich or poor, whether you lived a good life or a bad life, whether you're wise or foolish, um, at the end of the day, we all die. At the end of the day, we're all forgotten. And and, and so that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. Um, and so this is where I think it's important when we're reading through the book, most of Ecclesiastes is not prescriptive. Or in other words, it's not saying this is how we should live our lives. This is how we should think. What it is saying is if we're going to ignore God, if we're just going to pursue pleasure to the max, this is what life is all about. This is the end result. Yeah. And Ecclesiastes just gives a really honest, um, a really honest look at it. Yeah. And I think one of the, uh, I, I just heard it recently. I think it was, um, I think it was Andrew Clavin, who's, he's a, um, he's a, he, he, he grew up Jewish and he, he converted to Christianity. He wrote a book about it, which is really interesting. Um, but he was saying that the, the main thing that, that swayed him into like basically out of his, atheism into belief in Christ was the idea that do you believe um, that it's wrong uh, 
to torture a baby, which sounds like really aggressive, right? But the, but the idea behind it is like, let's say for a moment um, that you went into a spaceship and you shot through space and you landed on a planet where it was considered morally good uh, to kill, like to torture babies. That was just a thing that people did. It was not considered wrong at all. Do you believe that it would still be wrong to do that? Or do you just believe that because of how I grew up, I perceive this is wrong, but there's no difference between giving a beggar bread and killing a baby, that those are morally the same thing. It's just that I perceive one as being good and I perceive the others being bad. If you believe that objectively one of those things is good, then you have to believe in God because that's the only reason that one of those things is good and the other one is bad because otherwise there's no there's mm-hmm. no case for an objective morality. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying here. He's saying, if there is no God, then there's no point to, yeah. to living a, a wise life. There's no point to living a good life. Just do what you want. Like eat, drink, be merry uh, for tomorrow we die is kind of like the message of the chapter. Yeah. Well, you also got to remember too, that uh, the whole point of Solomon's writing is he, he just, it's a confession for him in the sense of like, I've pursued all these things and everything is meaningless. Like that's, uh, or vanity, everything is vanity. Um, and so as you look at this, it, it is this picture and it is a depressing picture in some respects right. because the world we live in is oftentimes living for their, the momentary pleasure or the momentary vice. And Solomon's like, I've been there, I've done that. Like it's meaningless. So eat, drink and be merry because for tomorrow you're going to die. Like what's, God has already approved of what you've done, which is kind of a, a challenging line in this passage. But it literally is this conversation of you you have one of two choices. You can live for the, the meaning and the intention that God has created us for because he is the creator, uh, he is the moral like code, um, or you can live for every whim and desire. And if you do that, you're gonna be in the same boat Solomon, Solomon, Solomon <laughs> found himself at the end of his life, reflecting on the fact like I've pursued all of it and it's all meaningless. I've pursued all of it and it's worthless. Um, and so that's the tension that he brings up in the book. Uh, and so you got to remember context a little bit because it, it, it does seem contrary to what we believe uh, and how we're supposed to live as followers of Christ because Christ is the hope, the meaning, the purpose. We get to we get to look forward to eternity where we are still eating and drinking and enjoying God's presence and the fulfillment of God's created order uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. So you're, you're, you're right in your observation, uh, but don't forget the context of, of Ecclesiastes in light of the gospel. Yeah. So that, that good was, question. That was a great way to wrap it up. Uh, question two. Uh, this is our final question for today. Um, hello. Well, hello back to you, listener. Another podcast podcast question for you. Uh, in Matthew twelve thirty two, is there an unwritten clarifier? If you say something bad, well, here, let me read the scripture and I'll read the rest of the question. Uh, so Matthew twelve thirty two says, and whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, in Matthew twelve thirty two, is there an unwritten clarifier? If you say something bad against the spirit, but did it while not understanding and ask for forgiveness when you do, are you okay? Or are you damned for this age and for the, the next? Word. Use the bad word. Are you darn? Are you darn? Are you darn? This age and in the next. Okay. So for this one, this is a great question because I feel like um, it's one oftentimes we'll just read over and glance because we don't understand it. Uh, so, so major props and kudos to you for uh, stopping and asking this question. So. Yeah, no, it's it's good work. It is a really interesting one. Uh, for this, Evan has a big book he's opening oh, right now. Big book, thousands of actually, it's like over a thousand pages, but not thousands. Um, this book is called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, and what it is is it's kind of um, to get to give a really quick example because I do think it's a great it's a great resource. Um, 
the difference between this and another one. So for instance, one book that we're working through is the New Testament in its world by N.T. Wright. What that one does is it says, this is the gospel of John. This is what John says about who Jesus is. This is the, um, the way that John is broken down. What systematic theologies do, they're books that say, this is a topic here is what mm-hmm. the whole of scripture says about this topic. So, and they're, and they're both valuable. One is not yeah. better than the other. So on the one hand, it is really valuable to dive deep into a book and the yeah. context of that book. And on the other hand, it is good to know what the Bible as a whole says about a topic, yeah. not just Which narrow. we'll actually jump into that next week. Yeah. Next a week topic, we'll be talking about- More systematic theology than yep. topical. We'll be talking about covenant, which is obviously, a, it's over a Fancy lot word. of the books of yeah. the Bible. It's not just in one. So uh, I was going to write down the- the notes and then kind of like summarize it. But honestly, I'm just going to kind of read um, from a, a few different places. I'll summarize a few of the different arguments and then we'll kind of talk about it a little bit later. So I'm going to have to hold this up above where my mic is at. It's a little bit complicated, but I believe I should totally take a picture of this. It's going to be awesome. All right. So anyway, uh, there's a few different options of what this is. So it's referred to in a few different other places as well. It's referred to in Hebrews as kind of what is the unforgivable sin. Um, but there's a few different ideas of what it could be. Oh no, Aaron, this is terrible. What'd you do? I set my bookmark in the wrong spot. That's awesome. What have I done? Well, I can stall a little bit while you look for the right spot. We're good. I found my other bookmark. Stalled perfectly. Boom. Great stall. All right. Anyway, here we go. Uh, the unforgivable sin. So option one would be, uh, some have thought that this was a sin that could only be committed while Christ was on earth. So the idea is that in this particular time, there is some type of a sin that those people could have committed that would not have been forgiven. Um, the reason that we, I don't really hold to that one is just because the language that Jesus use of uses of whoever, uh, speaks against the Holy spirit. It doesn't say, in a specific time, or like it doesn't say whoever speaks yeah. against the Holy Spirit before the Son of Man well, it's comes. It's not an expiration date. Yeah. So some people believe that. Uh, I don't really hold to it, but again, that's kind of one opinion that people can have. Uh, number two, some have held that the sin is unbelief and continues until the time of death. Therefore, everyone who dies in unbelief, or at least everyone who has heard of Christ and then dies in unbelief, has committed this sin. So the idea is the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a type of unbelief that persists unto death, um, which on, on the one hand, that is true that if you die unbelieving, then you, you know, you don't go to heaven into eternity. Right. But on the other hand, um, that doesn't really jive with what Jesus is saying. Cause it's, it, it, that's a, when you look at the the words that Jesus is using, nothing about it really translates out to saying that that is what he's talking about. So I think that's more of kind of just like something that is just kind of said, uh, to be said, number three, some hold that this sin is serious apostasy by genuine believers and that only those who are truly born again could commit this sin. This kind of comes from the Hebrews passage, which I, I didn't write down, but basically it refers to um, people who um, have been saved or at least are in the group of believers and then leave mm-hmm. and talking about that. So um, it doesn't seem like that is really what it's referring to, but I think that's kind of one of those open-handed things where um if you're wanting to believe that it's people who have genuinely been saved and then reject it. And then at that point it's kind of over. You could believe that in my, in my personal stance, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's possible to lose your salvation. And, and what I mean by that is I don't think that you can have your heart complete, <clears throat> that you can have your heart completely changed um, by the gospel and fully understand it and then reject it. 
So I think that when we hear stories of people who were in the church, um, people who were, you know, quote unquote Christians, and then now they're not, my argument would be that they, they were probably never truly Christians to begin with. Um, and, and we can think about it like all the time. We know people who, you know, they go to church. It's just kind of like a cultural thing they do. Um, maybe they get really emotional at times or whatever it is. But at, at the end of the day, their their faith isn't grounded in in the work of Christ. So you're looking like you might disagree with me there. I don't know. Well, I just, I mean, this goes to the other conversations I think you and I have all the time. Um, but I, yeah, I just, no, I just, I just think that, I think it's, 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 it's a lot to say um, because I think our, our I don't I don't think we're ever fully grounded in understanding the gospel it's in, in its entirety and I think that there is a, the process of sanctification becoming more like Christ I think there is um, understanding justification and God's grace and I'm it's it's the continually growing and the continually learning and the continual humility that it requires for us to to daily walk this thing out um, where I think you're gonna yeah. To say, I, I don't know, to say that you can't lose your salvation is, I mean, you and I have had many conversations. Yeah. Um, it's a broad statement. It is. And it's, and so like, I sometimes will hyper-focus on, on the wrong things. So, which is why I'm trying, this is why I'm taking time to not spend a lot of energy on that. So, um, yeah, I think there's just, you, can you walk away? I think yes. Um, but I think there's a much bigger conversation there. I yeah. And that was the question. So we don't have to focus yeah. on it all the time. Uh, but that's why I was trying not to say anything and just letting my face do the talking. So, and so then the, you called me out. Sorry. Well, you looked like he had something interesting to say. Jerk. Uh, and so the fourth answer, and this is where I would kind of land, um, is that this is a, um, it's a special malicious um, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And so what I think mm-hmm. this is referring to is not out, outside of faith or outside of understanding saying negative things about God. Um, but what I think it probably is referring to is kind of just a, a and this is kind of like the language, right? It really seems like it's attributing the work of the Holy spirit to the work of Satan and fully understanding that that is what you are doing mm-hmm. <clears throat> is kind of the, it's kind of the idea. Again, this is a really open handed yeah. thing because and there's layers to it. Like, yeah, but, and it's, and it's a, it's a hard, cause I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever had the clarity on this is what the unforgivable sin is. I've heard multiple different things. So it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, tension. And I think um, I would just say this from a practical standpoint, if you're worried about having offended the or, or you know, blasphemed the Holy spirit or had the unforgivable sin or whatever, uh, I think you're doing okay. <laughs> I think uh, it's when pride becomes overwhelming to the point where like, I mean, it's, it's what Satan himself did. He came to the point where he knew God fully and he, point blank rejected God as the authority. Right. Um, so I think when pride gets its full grasp and it's, it's a much deeper, deeper. Well, well. it's also important to remember um, the context of who Jesus is talking to as well. He's talking to the Pharisees mm-hmm. um, and they had just kind of talked about how like this, this man casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And yeah. he's kind of warning them like, okay, listen, you can say that about me um, and you will be forgiven. But once like, basically once the power of the Holy spirit comes, like you need to chill out. Yeah. Mind mind what you say. And the idea there is, I think the Pharisees were, I think they were beginning to understand who Jesus was and rejecting him, not because they didn't believe 
in who he was, but rejecting him more because of they wanted to maintain hold on the power. Mm-hmm. And when we say Pharisees, I want to be careful because I don't mean every single Pharisee because Nicodemus was a Pharisee. No, everyone. Yeah. Every so single one. It's, it's a group of Pharisees who were in power. It's a group of Sadducees yeah. that were um, in power and the rejection of Christ. So that probably doesn't help a ton no. with the question because it's really, it is really an open-handed one. But well, and I think, to be honest with you, I think if we were to sit down and have a conversation um, more directly with this individual, we could hash out what the what the holdup is or what the, right. the the angst or what the, what what's the root of the question and cause for concern. And, and I think, cause there's so many layers to this conversation specifically um, that are, are very, like very worthwhile um, to have. And it's to, to try and understand what the, like the individual who's asking the question, what they're asking, what you're asking um, just from a simple statement, we can read into it so many different ways. So right. um, at the end of the day, love Jesus and trust the Holy spirit to lead you and guide you. Yeah. The final thing I'll say is like, there's a a theme throughout all of the Bible is that God is not as concerned with actions as he is behind the, with the heart behind them. And so we talked about that last week, I think in one of the questions, it's the motive of the heart. So I would say that probably, that's a a good wrap up. That probably applies to this as well. Uh, But with that being said, we're just going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week, man. We went almost an hour. So longer, I blame longer podcast on this one. I blame the book of John. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. Uh, you can find all of our other resources and podcasts mm-hmm. on our website at grove.church. And we will see you all next week. Boom.